0: Welcome to Estradiol Illusions. This is the Mandalorian recap for Season 2, Episode 4, Chapter 12. And we are back on Navarro, another pile of rocks. If you've been following my written recaps or listening to the show, I get a little frustrated, I guess, when, when there's all these variations of Tatooine, essentially. Well, by all these variations... We have Navarro, and from The Force Awakens, we have Jakku, and The Mandalorian has spent a lot of time on Navarro and Tatooine, which kind of allows the show to reuse the same sets, something that uh, Star Trek, huge Star Trek fan, actually about to record a Star Trek episode, which will come out a little later. Star Trek loves its planets full of rocks, you know? The the mission is to boldly go where no man has gone before, and it's the same pile of rocks. And I've said that a lot, so if if you've been listening, I'm not going to repeat that too much, but here we are again. And before we get to Navarro, we have Baby Yoda the Engineer, which was a very cute scene. And one of the kind of open questions of the show is how much can baby Yoda understand Mando? He's clearly force sensitive. He can use the force to stop TIE fighters or to acquire blue macaroons. I mean, that's probably, if you think about what the force is good for, acquiring snacks has got to really be on the top of most people's lists. So, uh, that was certainly adorable and It kind of made me think of in Empire Strikes Back in the beginning when they're at uh, Hoth and Chewbacca and Han are doing a lot of maintenance on the Falcon and he says, no, this one goes there, that one goes there. And Chewie's all yelling and then Luke comes and says he has to uh, go fight in a battle. And that's actually the last time the two of them are on screen together in Empire. Not to make uh, more detours. And then and then we land on Navarro, and uh, I said I would uh, at the the first recap of uh, this season, and I'll address the Gina Carano situation because uh, her her public behavior she's kind of a Breitbart news far right troll basically online, and you know that's that's uh, people people don't like that for obvious reasons. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I would say and and. I, I don't re- generally feel the need to address Trump supporters on a show called "Us I Illusions," hosted by a transgender woman, because I, you know, pretty sure that that there are not a lot of Trump people, uh, Trump people listening. Although they do often complain about my reviews, so who knows? Anyway, look, as a film critic, I always try to like really walk a fine line because Gina Chrono sucks, uh, and yet. I thought Cara Dune was actually a pretty good character last year. I think her, her episodes were, were, by and large, they were pretty good. I had complaints with actually both her and, and uh, Grief Cargo, that's uh, Carl Weathers' character, this episode. But, but before I really dive back into the episode, I just want to say, like, I, I, as a critic, we, we strive for objectivity with, with everything we do. And, you know, that's not to say humanity is always 100% objective, but that needs to be the standard to which we hold ourselves to, and that that's how uh, we engage with material. I, I can't sit down. I've never, and I, I can't sit down before a, a film and say, oh, I'm going to slam this because I hate that person. I encountered it uh, a couple months ago. I was... Uh, sent a film Waiting for the Barbarians, which had Johnny Depp in a... Not insubstantial. He was in a supporting role. And I praised him, and I thought he was good in it. And yeah, he's probably a terrible person. Uh, that's not irrelevant. If you're deciding to watch the film and you see him and you don't want to watch the film uh, because of that, that's that's certainly a valid reason. However, on my end, as a critic, if he's there... Uh, you have to rate them on their performances. You cannot take this uh, uh, bad Trump stuff, or uh, in Johnny Depp's case, uh, more egregious than that. You can't take that into consideration because if you start doing that, then then your your job is is okay, you know kind of pointless. Uh, <laughs> you shouldn't want to read critics who who are going to slam people just basically because they want to. It has it has to be based on the material. So I, uh, this will probably be the final time I, I go in depth on Gina Carano's Probably, I don't think she'll be back. I've, I've said this a couple of times. I don't think, I don't think anybody really thinks she'll be back for uh, season three. So, and, and she'll complain about censorship and all of that and, and being punished. But uh, she chose to do all of this, knowing full well she's made fun of pronouns, uh, trans people's pronouns. She's done a lot of this crap. Uh, sh- you know, she'll whatever happens if, if something bad does happen uh if she does get fired uh you know they'll cross that road and we get it but I, I I'm not going to I'm not going to be biased against Cara Dune because I hate the actress I I just I I I, I for years I've I've tried not to not to be somebody who does that uh I I, I like to think I do a pretty okay job at that and you know, that's that's where we're at. I'm a podcast host, which which gives you more latitude to say stuff like that, but I'm a film critic and my reviews get counted towards aggregates and stuff, and you have you have to be objective with that kind of stuff. So I I, I stride for that. So that's all I'll say on that matter. And that said, I mean Cook. So they so they land. Mando and the Razorcrest make that bumpy landing on Navarro, and there's Grief and Cardoon, The only two Recurring characters from last season who are still alive and uh, friends with Mando. You know, his uh, he he doesn't have a lot of friends, and TV shows often do rely on recurring characters, especially when your two main characters are a guy who never takes his helmet off and a puppet. You need recurring characters, and 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 especially. Carl Weathers' grief was superb in the beginning of the series at, at kind of helping the audience sort of understand what was going on, and he was energetic, and I, I think he really elevated the show. And and, and Gina Carano's Cara Dune did, did elevate the show a lot as well. She is a great action performer. There is no doubt about it. In the opening scene with Cara, where she's playing her kind of role as sheriff, uh, rescuing her ferret and fighting all the Ponda Baba kind of people... Uh, that was that was great. She's she is a very talented performer. A- a- as an actress, I mean, maybe not so much. Uh, and and when Mando docks and they come out to see him, there was really kind of an awkwardness to the scene. It didn't it didn't play well. It seemed kind of like they were old acquaint I mean they are old acquaintances but but they they left last season on very friendly terms and I didn't see that it was kind of like oh you're back yay oh you brought the baby oh you're still cute look at that guy and there was no exposition this show does not like exposition. It doesn't like explaining, You know, having scenes that really take in what they've been through. Sometimes, and that does happen sometimes, but these episodes, this one was only 39 minutes long. They don't have a ton of time to spend on exposition before, before the action sequences begin. Uh, most of the show is either setting up action sequences or conducting action sequences. There's not a ton of time to say, hey, why don't we take a step back? And, uh, you know, we didn't have a scene where Mando sits down with uh, grief and Kara and says, here is what I've been through since I last saw you. And I, I think the show, you know, clocking in at 40 minutes, I think the show would have been better off doing a scene like that. And you had Carl Weathers directing. Uh, I i was not super high on his directing in the first, like, ten minutes. I i, I thought the scene when they left the razor, quest, razor Crest, it was kind of awkwardly framed. And uh, the sound kind of sound, like seemed off. You know, when he saw Mando in the beginning, he was very boisterous. And he was like, oh, Mando! And here uh, he was a bit more reserved, subdued. I don't know. Maybe maybe Carl Weathers was stressed. I, I don't want to get too into the the nitty gritty of, of filmmaking or film criticism, but uh, I just something something just didn't seem all that right. And then Mando uh, gets convinced he couldn't have brought Frog Lady and Mister Frog Lady with him to babysit Yoda, so Baby Yoda has to be plopped down. In a schoolroom, uh, in a classroom, taught by a uh, protocol droid that looks a lot like C-3PO. Baby Yoda gets down, and he wants, uh, he's, he's hungry, so he uses the Force and uh, those cookies. I mean, you should share your cookies. or I mean, Baby Yoda probably would have taken the rest of them anyway, but uh, the fact that the, the student wouldn't share his uh, macaroons, uh, that's what happens. You get them taken. Tough shit. Oh, well. That was just all kind of weird, so, and and, and right from the beginning, it all, the whole, oh, we have to go take care of this Imperial remnant that's around. You have to help us, Mando, right after he lands, oh, while your ship's being repaired, why don't we go on a mission? I thought that was essentially, I thought this episode, at that point, was going to be basically 100% filler. And to the to the show's credit, they basically pretty much did a great job turning all of that around. It was not a filler episode, and yet, I mean, the return to Navarro was uh, a little bit cringy. I didn't really want them back, but uh, they they made a lot. They got a lot out of that return visit, and they get there, and we see we see the Mithril. I guess I looked it up, the mithril that's the blue guy, played by Horatio Sands, who was in the very first episode of the series, he was Mando's very first bounty in the very first episode of the series. I looked up, he doesn't, he and his species kind of just have the same name. So, uh, it was weird having him back. He didn't like being in Carbonite. It left him blind. They were joking about it. Grief was, like, a really big dick. They'd say, like, here, open the doors. He'd go over there. And then uh, Grief or Kara would say, hurry up, like, immediately. And it didn't seem like he was doing anything very complex. He was just kind of pushing buttons when they get to the Imperial base. So, Mando's kind of rightfully a little concerned about Moff Gideon. They get there... Stormtroopers can't shoot, so they're blasting around. And uh, then they get to... Uh, naturally, it's Star Wars, so you can have a nice lava pit somewhere. Who doesn't like a good lava pit? And who wouldn't build... Who Could you imagine the construction of building that base w- next to the lava pit? I mean, that would be pretty stressful. Uh, but we've got Mustafar. Uh, there's lava planets. Uh, the Darth Vader comic. The Shoturin War. I think Shoturin may actually be the name of the planet. Uh lava there, lots of lava. We got rocks and we have lava. And uh we did have I mean, a rail on the on the rock planet's all I want. We did actually just get an episode where they were on a water planet. So okay, I mean we had a nice we had our water planet to replace the rock planet, then we had Kokotan who was our nice Cardoon replacement last episode. <laughs> Naturally they had to kind of say, Okay, let's let's go back to where we were, where we were last year. So the the, the the action sequences, I mean, they were great. A lot of fun. I was a little tired at first. Like, okay, they're blasting stormtroopers again. These stormtroopers suck. They're not going to kill anyone. I mean, I thought the mithril of the blue guy was probably maybe a goner. I, I at one point was like, okay, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy died. But uh, they didn't. They got in the Taxler Marauder ship, which was uh, pretty cool. And then they had a nice little uh, speeder race sequence with uh, the speeder bikes can't hit anything. And then the TIE fighters. And you've got grief firing at people. That was all really uh, wonderfully shot. It was funny seeing the speeder bike people go down the hill and they, were, they got blown up. All of that was, uh, All of that was pretty fun. I guess now we're kind of jumping ahead because uh really the big the big point in which this this episode was not a uh filler or a retread was the fact that they uh, we learned something new about mouth Gideon and specifically his uh, desire to acquire the child for experimentations that I I they said you know unless we can get a source for M, uh, most people are reading that as midichlorians, which uh among the most controversial aspects of The Phantom Menace, besides, of course, Jar, Jar Binks. We see a hologram recording from Dr. Pershing, who was in uh, one of the early episodes where you had uh, Werner Herzog's character, I would like to see the baby. I can't do a good impression of him. Uh, but, uh, it, 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 that, that was certainly, uh, it gives the show a way to, uh, tie back into its early lore. I mean, one of one of the kind of interesting things to follow this season has been the fact that, that wherever Baby Yoda goes, there isn't a, a big, uh, whatever bounty the, the remnants of the Empire has put on, on Baby Yoda, uh, it doesn't seem to be too big of a deal. It's not really getting in the way, and Mando, I Guess I I've been I've been railing on this for 3 episodes now. They don't even mention the quest for other Mando's this season. I, I this episode. He's supposed to be on his way to uh Ahsoka Tano from uh Star Wars the Clone Wars and and Star Wars Rebels, believed to be played by Rosario Dawson. But uh you know it it just it seemed like it seemed like the quest for other mandos was such a sort of a weirdly forced plot line that the show kind of clunkily got through but i mean you know with 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 some as much there were so many action sequences in this episode that it makes it easier to forgive all of the uh lack of exposition i mean honestly as a film critic and a film tv critic i don't think there's really ever been a time where i where i thought that a show was desperately needing more exposition almost always if i talk about exposition it's to say that if something has too much exposition that it's clunky that there's it's too heavy handed and all of that stuff and i i, I mean I, the fact that this show is really an anomaly among streaming series that it's that it frequently does episodes that that not only don't go up to the 50-minute marker. Oftentimes, they barely... They don't even cross the 40-minute marker like this one and certainly last week's, which was about 35 minutes. So, I mean, it, there will be flaws in this show, and it, it has uh, challenges with when it comes to recurring characters or just even, like, the idea of a cast of characters. This is... There's a reason people call this the Baby Yoda show. It's about the child, and... Uh, Baby Yoda didn't factor into this episode all that much, uh, except uh, to to steal cookies, which was certainly adorable, and to play with wires, so that was (laughs) certainly very adorable. I will say uh, it was interesting to have, uh, we see the return of Captain Carson Teva, who was uh, one of the X-Wing pilots from Episode 2 with the Ice Planet who, uh, helped Mando with the ice spiders, but didn't help him fix his ship, and, uh, the way that the Razor Crest has been flying around these past couple episodes, uh, that's, that's pretty brutal. So we have this scene about Alderaan with, between the captain and Cardoon. Cardoon says that she lost everybody. That's kind of her, uh, loner, and now she's a, a, a jumper trooper, shock jumper, something like that, uh. When she was with the the rebellion, and now she doesn't want any part of that. They try to recruit her, and she doesn't. I mean, this is this is these are kind of tropes of uh, Western storytelling: the reluctant gunslinger, all of that kind of stuff, which Mando also emulates. But uh, Kara is very much the female Mando in that regard, and uh, has been through a lot. And although I mean, she's got roots now in Navarro, so I don't know any of that. The captain's asking grief about the Razor Crest, and. He's pulling his predictor. I mean, a lot. Of, a lot of this falls under uh, traditional Western story, and Western being a genre, not not Western as like uh, the culturally the West, but uh, it's 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 all kind of exciting. And between that and Moff Gideon and, and sort of we're, we're seeing we're seeing things that look like uh, kind of the beginning of the First Order here, which is uh, it, it, if you look at the ship that uh, Moff Gideon was flying in, that's that's uh, architecture that is way more in line with the sequel trilogy than anything we saw in the original trilogy. And I mean, that's kind of been an open question with regard to uh, so the Mandalorian takes place five years after Return of the Jedi. So the New Republic is very much in its infancy. Uh, a place like Navarro on the Outer Rim is also kind of interesting. I talked about this in my written recap where uh, the Outer Rim, especially like Tatooine, was always regarded as being controlled by the Hutts. Uh, the Outer Rim is hard for either the Empire or the New Republic to handle because it's, uh, you know, literally it's the Outer Rim that's full of outlaws. So they have a sheriff, but uh, in terms of uh, any, any kind of government, broader government, they're not really trying too hard for uh, that kind of stuff. But... It's always, like, anybody watching The Mandalorian, who's a big Star Wars nerd, is going to be thinking about how the New Republic fits into this this universe. And The Mandalorian is really a show that's supposed to cut off a, a slice of, of Star Wars lore for itself, and it's going to be self-contained in a way that... that you know, the this, this, this series is not designed like the MCU where you're supposed to see them in order, references. Although even that is something where if you skip a couple, you're not supposed to be too penalized. But bottom line is, is the show has not really been hyping up the idea that it's going to do a ton of uh, connective tissue between uh, the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy. And yet, I mean, we're seeing a lot of that, and that's really exciting, seeing Moff Gideon. uh, He's a bad, bad dude, and uh, he wants Baby Yoda for uh, genetic experimentation. I mean, that's stuff that should uh, naturally make anyone uh, pretty uncomfortable. But uh, we're halfway through the season now, and I I don't... I've talked about this before. I think that if we see Boba Fett, it's going to be really towards the end, if at that. I mean, he was teased last year with Ming-Na's character on Tatooine. Uh, I, I assume Boba Fett was supposed to be the figure who came up to her at the end of her episode. And then he got his tease at the end of uh, end of the first episode of this season. Uh, we're not going to see some big New Republic Imperial battle probably ever in the show. And if we do, it'd probably be more towards the end. But... Uh, The show's, I mean, it's, 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 we're halfway through and, uh, I've had some issues particularly with the, the Ice Spider episode, the second episode of the season, because I I think it was just kind of spinning its tires. The show obviously won, and tires, maybe not the best, uh, word to use for a show where, uh, land speeders, uh, RIP Mithril's land speeder, by the way, but, uh, they don't have wheels, but don't have tires. It's, uh this show is going to make incremental progress throughout its run. It's not, uh, you know, there's not going to be major plot developments, especially uh, halfway through the season. We may see that in uh, uh, three episodes from now, uh, the seventh episode of the season. But I guess, and, and that's kind of okay in this regard, because... Ten minutes into this episode, it really did kind of look like a filler reunion kind of episode with really kind of clunky dialogue. And I was I was getting ready. I, I, I kind of expected if it continued along that lines that I was going to give it a bad review. And then it turned itself around with some good action sequences and some, some things that that uh, justified the existence of this episode. Although you have to wonder, them tracking the Razorcrest, all of that it's odd that this detour will uh, undoubtedly play such a huge role in uh shaping the season and and moth Gideon's efforts to track down the child but uh I mean that that's that's good storytelling and uh it, it, to put the put the clunky dialogue aside uh, I think this episode was was pretty good at with with its storytelling and uh, I enjoyed it great action sequences some of the best some of those scenes could have been in a feature-length film and that's uh you know a testament to the era we're living in with streaming television being so popular and and, and so high budget but uh great tv this was uh this was a fun one and i'm happy first 10 minutes not uh not so good but uh aside from that uh not much else to say i mean we have uh we keep these written recaps pretty short for a reason but uh I think it is. I, I hope you're. I hope people are enjoying this. And uh, if not, I there's my written recaps. And if you don't like that, uh, there's plenty of other people writing about Mandalorian. But uh, I like to look at the the narrative choices of the show and and the the callbacks and and sort of how the show is trying to place itself within the broader uh, Star Wars lore. And I think it's doing a fabulous job seasons uh there have been bumpy moments but overall it's been it's been pretty great and it's hard to believe that we're halfway through but uh former episodes will be here covering all of them uh happy thanksgiving everybody thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time